Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Prior to our gospel text this morning in Matthew's gospel that was just read for us, we see two events take place. The first is that Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answer that some say he's Elijah, some Jeremiah, others that he's a prophet, some even say that he is John the Baptist. And then Jesus pauses, looks at them and asks them, and who do you say I am? And Peter responds and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus looks at Peter, tells him he is blessed that the Father himself revealed this to Peter. He looks at Peter and says, you are the rock and upon this rock I will build my church. The second event that follows is that Jesus tells them that he's going to suffer many things in Jerusalem at the hands of the high priest, that he will die and on the third day rise. And they don't understand. And then the rock, Peter, takes Jesus aside and tells him not to say such things because that's never going to happen. And then Jesus looks at the rock once more and says, get behind me, Satan. For you have the things of man in your mind and not the things of God. Then looks at those who are following him and says, If anyone would follow me, if anyone would be my disciple, they must pick up their cross and follow me. And then comes our gospel text, which we just read. And it starts with the line, after six days. And you know, sometimes when we're reading and you get these huge sections, right? This Jesus saying, or Peter saying, you are the Messiah. Jesus saying, upon this rock I will build my church. And then you're Satan, get behind me. I can only imagine what it must have been like for the scribe who was copying down everything that Matthew was saying when he's writing it. And he says, how, 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 can you just hold up? Like, what was Peter's face like when you said, get behind me, Satan? Like, what did it look like when Jesus said that? I would get too lost in all of the details that kind of get lost when it just says, and after six days. I would want to know, was it very gloomy? Who told the joke that kind of broke the group up and they started to laugh again? Was it Nathaniel? He seemed kind of funny at the beginning of John. I don't know. But I do that a lot. I try to figure out what's going on. Sometimes I like to do this. I like to put myself in the text as I'm reading. And with your permission, I'd love to do that with you today. I'll try to guide us, but I want us to enter into this text to allow the Lord to speak to us, allow ourselves to experience perhaps what it was like if we had been there at the Transfiguration. And as we go into the text, it's always important whenever we open the Word of God, whenever we spend time with Him, to let our hearts be at peace, to let us become aware of that infinite love and warmth that are in the eyes of the Father as He looks upon us and as we open up our hearts, our minds, to His words. And so if you're doing it with me, we're there now. And six days have passed. And we can feel with the disciples the trouble of heart, right? They don't understand what Jesus was saying when he said that he had to suffer and die. But they do understand that something dark, something painful lies ahead. And we know it's coming. We've read this text before. But how often do we find ourselves in a similar situation in our own lives? Hearts troubled, not understanding what is happening or why it's happening. 
just know that something is going to happen. And Jesus, who is always so aware of human hearts, ours included, knows what the disciples are feeling and chooses in our text, chooses in this way, this transfiguration, this trip up to the mountain to strengthen them for the time of the cross that is to come. Chooses to strengthen us also in this way for the time of the cross in our own lives. And I don't know if you've ever looked at the transfiguration that way, as a way of Jesus strengthening your heart, that he shows you his glory, he shows you the end, that this isn't just some one-time miracle, but maybe that the real miracle is that he has been holding back his glory all along so that he could be with us, relate to us, be one of us. And so as we're there, we leave with the group and we go on. And we walk with Jesus and the disciples, Peter, James, and John. Today, we don't replace either Peter, James, or John. We just go with them as if there was a fourth person and we get to go. And we climb this high mountain, rising, leaving everything behind. And we reach the top. We're there, we catch our breath. It's exhausting to walk up a mountain, I'm sure. We look out quickly at the view around us and then we turn our eyes and there is only Jesus. And with deep affection, with deep awe and love, we're not, we're not scared, we're at peace and we watch as he is transfigured before us. His face, his garments, white as light, the glory of his divinity is shown is revealed in this radiance, this beauty of his person. And with the disciples, we feel the fascination of the divine. And as we look, our hearts are drawn to the one we love. And we say from our own hearts, Lord, it is good to be here. I mean, think quickly of those times in your life when you have felt God's closeness. When everything is stilled, and all you desire is just to be there, just to experience the Lord, just to be with Him. And you can multiply that more than we could say. You catch just a glimpse of what is happening here. And you hear with your ears, with your heart, Peter shouts out, Lord, it is good that we are here. How good it is to stay in those moments of closeness and awe of God. And I want you to know, I want you to hear this. There is nothing wrong with the prayer or the feeling, Lord, it is good to be here with you. Those words reveal to us the deepest meaning of our lives, the, the deepest love. It is good to be with the Lord. And I think sometimes we get so caught up with chastising Peter here, so busy to get moving that we forget this truth that Peter teaches us, how our hearts burn with the desire to be close to God. It is good to be with the Lord. And our eyes adjust and we see that, that Moses and Elijah are there too. And we don't spend time today trying to figure out if they symbolically represent the law and the prophets or that this is showing us that Jesus' life and his mission are the fulfillment of God's plan in the scriptures. But today we're filled with wonder because we recognize Moses and Elijah. These men who we have never personally met, these men who we have never seen a photograph of. 
and our hearts are warmed and filled with wonder because we will recognize our loved ones is what this means. That we will see them again and we will remember them. That they will know us. That we will be filled with the joy of the relationships that we have had in this life. And we treasure this closeness. And we say, Lord, it's good to be here. And then the cloud comes, which biblically is the image of God's presence, right? The cloud of majesty of God overshadows them and we experience it overshadowing us and we feel with reverent awe just how very close we are to the divine. And in this moment, this moment of God revealing himself to us, each of us personally, we hear the voice of the Father speaking speaking of the greatest of loves, the fountain of every love, his son Jesus. And he says, this is my son whom I love. This is my beloved son, which are words that were given to us in our baptism. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. The father calls you that, his beloved son his beloved daughter. In your baptism, he declares that over you, promises you that, he makes you that. And God speaking that directly to us fills us with hope. It fills that longing inside of us, that longing to be known, that longing to be loved, to be held, to be connected. We are connected in him and by him and we are made whole. And then the voice cries out and says, listen to him. And we pray, we ask for the Lord to teach us in this moment. Teach us, Lord, how to listen to you every day. Create in us a desire to listen to you. We pray for the strength to turn away from the other voices in our lives. For We ask for the wisdom that knows that the earth tries to satisfy our heart, but we ask that we will hear his words, the Lord's words for us. And so often in the scriptures we see what happens next. The disciples filled with fear, their hearts are afraid. And we can go there too because so often in our own lives we are afraid. And I would ask you what fills your heart with fear this day? What are the anxieties, the worries, the burdens of your heart? Maybe you whisper them, maybe you just have them in the front of your mind right now. I wonder what power they have over you. I wonder if they speak back to you, these fears that you have. I wonder who has given this fear that you hold so much power over you. And I would ask that today you hear instead the voice of your Jesus, who says, get up and do not be afraid. The voice of Jesus does not chastise you, but with grace, with gentleness, 
Jesus speaks and he is there, restoring you, loving you. You can feel the touch of Jesus on you. Maybe he grabs your hand. Maybe he bends down and puts his hands right upon your face and looks at your eyes. Maybe he just gently lifts you up by the shoulder. But lovingly he looks at you and says, get up, don't be afraid. Jesus' response to all of your fear is always get up, don't be afraid. And when you rise and when you lift open your eyes, you know what you will see. You will not see Moses. You will not see Elijah. You will not see your fears. Who stands there is Jesus. In your moments of greatest fear, in your moments of struggles, pain, confusion, you will hear the voice of Jesus and Jesus alone as he says, get up and do not be afraid. And you will begin to speak the voices, the, 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 the verses that you have memorized deep in your heart from Isaiah 41 when Jesus says, I am with you, do not be afraid, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you. From John 14 where he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. From Hebrews 13 where he says, I the Lord am your helper, what can any mere mortal do to you? From Lamentations 3 where he says, when you call to me, I will come near. For in every encounter of your life, every event, all the people, all the fears, the trials, the temptations, the struggles that come, it will be the voice of Jesus that will always speak to you, get up and do not be afraid. When you open your eyes, it will be the face of Jesus that you will see. And it's holding this in our heart, that we will come down from the mountain with Jesus. And when we walk down from the mountain, we will find that the scene at the bottom of the mountain, well, the scene is the same. It's back to the everyday life. Everything is kind of what it was, but it also is completely changed. Because, my friends, you leave your fears on the mountain with Jesus. And you know as well as I do that your fears are not the only thing you leave on the mountain with Jesus. You also have left your sins there where he has done away with them, where he has taken them and nailed them to the cross, where he himself has buried them. And you walk down here, down from the mountain in the daylight, the night, and the everyday, where what rests with you is the presence of Jesus in your heart. What is yours is the victory of Jesus given to you on the cross and in the resurrection. And the gift of your baptism, knowing that you are the child of God, connected, loved, and made fully His, His beloved. Amen.